You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. If you want to have guarantees, you have to buy a washing machine. Match either we win or we learn, and today we learned. It's in field to Mane, 25 yards out. Lovely ball for Bella. Onside, 1 0. Blue Bass shot. Oh my word. It's he ran around a bit like Bambi on ice. It was very, very embarrassing to watch. And now, your host, Matt Markstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast and newsletter dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans, and available right here on SouthamptonDelivery.com. My name is Matt Markson. I am the host of the show. And no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, thanks for making the show part of your day. I hope that you enjoy it. And I hope that you enjoyed Danny Ng's 21st goal of the Premier League season. I hope that you enjoyed Che Adams' second goal of the Premier League season, both were wonderfully taken. Both were welcome in a match that really was not that comfortable uh, for me, at least as a viewer. I never really felt like we had control, even though Bournemouth didn't really create that many chances. And I don't want to bring the mood down at all, but we should kind of have a moment of silence. Not for Bournemouth though, uh, but for Total Saints podcast, which is no longer going to be around after next week. And if you are listening to the show, there is a chance that you listen to the Total Saints podcast. There's a very good chance, actually. And if you didn't already know, Total Saints podcast will no longer be producing episodes after next week. And as Ben and John, who runs the Saints FC podcast, we all kind of started our podcast journey around the same time. It does feel a little bit like we're losing a member of the podcast family, uh, which is something that Limehouse Pod um actually asked us this week. And uh, Ben quickly responded with, no, no, we haven't. But I definitely do feel... Like we have, I think Ben and Lucy and Adam and Steve and Glenn and Will over at Saints Archive and Robbie over at Saints World have all done a fantastic job of bringing us a show each week that we can look forward to. Uh, and I will miss it, not just as part of my weekly podcast rotation, but as a, a member of the podcast family. Um, you know, uh, good luck to Ben and everybody else who's involved. Um, oh, yes. Also, Bournemouth will probably get relegated, but we'll talk about that later because I don't want to predict the future because that's not something that we can do. But what we can do is talk about the match that happened. And uh, I mentioned that I wasn't that comfortable with, with how it all went down, but um, we're going to get the thoughts this week of Ben Stroud, who was the author of the Archer's Road End blog. Um, he doesn't publish as often anymore, uh, but it's not so much about saying stuff all the time. It's about what you say when you actually do publish. So uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to Ben. I hadn't had the chance to actually speak to him in a while, but um, we have him on the show this week. So uh, we'll jump into that right now. Thank you so much for tuning in. And one more thing before we get to Ben, uh, if you're enjoying the show, consider signing up for the newsletter. It comes out each and every Friday, delivered to your email inbox, and uh, it contains some Saint stuff. It contains some other things about the show. And I think you will enjoy it if you enjoy the show. If not, um, that's fine. I don't know why you're listening. But anyway, here's Ben Stroud. You can find him on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Archer's Road End. And uh, we'll talk to you on the other side. I'd like to welcome back to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, Ben Stroud. You can find him on Twitter at Archer's Road End, also on Instagram and Facebook at the same address. 
Ben, it's been a little while, but thanks for taking some time to join me and welcome back to the show. No, it's great, Matt. Thanks for having me back on. It's always great to be on here and I always enjoy, uh, enjoy taking part in this podcast. It's one of my, it's one of my favorites. All right. Well, um, I, I want to say the last time I, I saw you, uh, it was, let's see, about 36 hours ago, maybe and you were, <laughs> you were, I think 20 hours into a 24 hour live stream, uh, raising money for charity. So how, um, I, I think you went, did you go Friday night or Friday day to Saturday morning? Is that what you did? Um, no, it, it, it was, uh, it was Saturday at 9am until Sunday at 9am. Okay. That's right. That's right. And I think you joined me at about when, I, when it was about 5am. Yeah. So the last kind of couple of hours, last few hours on Sunday. And, uh, I feel like I've only just put my brain back together. It was the most, uh, I've run half marathons. I've done, you know, I've done various things for charity. That makes me sound. That makes me sound like one of those, uh, one of those guys who's like, yeah, I'm always doing something for charity, man. But um, I, uh, that was by far one of the most challenging things that I've ever done. Playing games for 24 hours sounds like uh, sounds brilliant. In reality. I'm never going to do it again. Yeah. Um, but I raised money. I raised some great money for Macmillan Cancer here in the UK. And uh, and I worked it out. It's about enough to help um, someone get, I think, two and a half days of support from a, a Macmillan Cancer nurse. So it helps people living with cancer. All right. Um, so I'm happy about that. So, you know, no matter kind of what I've, I've kind of gone through, in terms of uh, streaming for 24 hours, I never want to see another TV screen again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, at least um, for the reason that I did it was to help people living with cancer, and I did. All right. So that that that's job done for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I want to say thank you for doing that, um, and congratulations. I think on on completing it, um, and if people still want to donate to that that link is in the show notes for people to to go ahead and do that and um i mean just like you said you don't want to sound like you're always doing stuff for charity but um i will say that whenever i say there's a link in the show notes i try to i I try to set aside money for that comes in from some of the patrons of the show to make sure that i can give to to things like that because that stuff is is super important so um yeah, it was, a, it was a pleasure to be able to support you. And it was nice to, you know, I was kind of winding down for the evening. I sat down and um, decided I'll just, just kind of chat with you a little bit. Uh, there was one point, though, I thought I lost you because I, I had clicked away from the, um, from the video screen. And I came back and, and, and it was just empty room. But I think you had just gone to get the, uh, the energy drink that we discussed the color of. Uh, and that was, pretty, that was pretty nasty looking. So I hope, I hope it didn't destroy your insights too much. I had another one of those today. Um, I had four, had four of them. I had three during the stream. And one thing I would say is that I worry for the insides of professional gamers because those drinks, I had one, you said that some of your students use it for revising, but, but honestly, firstly, I've never tasted anything so disgusting in my whole life. And secondly, after the actual event itself and during the event, 
the biggest challenge for me was kind of trying to ride through yeah. the caffeine and sugar in, induced uh, psychosis that kicked in around about 2 a.m. Um, no good. I don't think it was lack of sleep. It was definitely those drinks. They are not good. Um, well, I mean, I joined you right near the end and you did manage to, to finish it up and I hope get some sleep afterwards. Um, and then, you know, we're here to talk a little bit about the, the near end of the Saints season. Um, yeah. I, it all kind of, and worse, I don't know, did you, did you manage to get up for the, and watch the match or do you have to find some stream on a replay or what, what happened for that? I did. I got up and watched the game and uh, I'm very glad I did. I watched it from, uh, I, I kind of just, just popped on the TV, um, watched it, watched it uh, from bed and it was, uh, it was good. It was good. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but I've really been enjoying the way we've been playing since the restart. Um, I think it's it's been it, the restart, really, and the and the resultant break uh, and and the, and the break before it. I think, from my perspective, the game kind of stopping and starting again and having that break almost bizarrely seems like it's the best thing that could have happened to us. Yeah. You look at other teams that have come in. Uh, you, you know, who have come out of, of, of this, Norwich in particular, you know, Watford as well. You look at teams, you know, some of those teams down the bottom and it looks like they just haven't put any work in during that downtime. Yeah. Whereas we, we've absolutely, you know, blew out of it um, and uh, really kind of went at it. Um, some of those players, they, they look absolutely transformed. Um, it's been it's been brilliant for us, and and it bodes well, really. But I think the key thing, uh, you, you know, I think that it was a tale of two teams, really, on 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 Sunday. Um, and I think that honestly, if you're looking at it from a Bournemouth, uh, you know, the, the perspective of a Bournemouth fan, they didn't deserve anything out of that game, and it did. They didn't look like a team who were fighting. And they looked like a team who were dangerously low on quality. I think that it could have easily, you know, we could have easily got more goals. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we're a mid-table side pushing on towards the top half. They're somewhere near the bottom in the relegation zone. Yeah. And I don't think I've seen quite, you know, uh, quite such a large gap in terms of quality between two sides. Barring Ramsdale, who I think had a fantastic game um, and looks like a very good young keeper, and obviously Nathan Ake and, and Jefferson Lerma. I don't really know too many of those players that, that would, would get into another Premier League team. Right. And I think that's ultimately the, 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 the kind of the, the issue with them. Too many players who are just not good enough, um, un unfortunately. And they spent money on the wrong type of players, really. Um, over the past couple of seasons, yeah. So yeah, yeah. They've got they've got serious issues. They're going to have to sort out. And the problem with some of those signings they've made is they spent you know over fifteen million pounds on several of them, and yeah. now those those you know those guys are going to be on big contracts, and you either have to offload them if you go down, or or hope you built in some sort of relegation clause. And and then you think about some of the guys that came up with them. Um, yeah, you know they're they're probably aging out of the of, of a rebuild if you have to go that way 
and, yeah. and it doesn't it doesn't look good. And you know, for a long time, I you know you heard good things about Eddie Howe. You heard about you know he was always considered for some of these bigger jobs, but then you also hear things recently about him just not tolerating any sort of um, you know a, other opinion on things, and that that doesn't go well at this point. Like there there's just too much to to consider as a manager to have to you know, want to control every single aspect. And I say that realizing that Ralph seems to be that way as well, but also yeah. seems to be, uh, have people around him that he trusts and, and kind of, you know, I take our goalkeeping coach, our goalkeeping performances have been uh, better, gotten better over the season. Um, and you look at, yeah. I look at that and say like, you know, Ralph hasn't probably had to touch that a whole lot. He's probably left, nah. left it to him. And, and that's, that's good. That's what, that makes people feel better uh, and makes them feel like they, they're empowered brother. You know, I hate walking around a place of work where you feel like you you can't speak your mind or say anything without being kind of reprimanded. And that's, that's no good. Mm. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think that Ralph's Ralph's quite autocratic in some senses. Um, but I, but I think that one of the things that he does is that he backs his, his players and his staff. Um, and, you know, he shows the rationale behind every decision that he makes. Yeah. So I think I think that helps. I think that helps. I think when we had people like, uh, you know, the biggest issue that we had with previous managers, you know, I'd probably say there are three previous managers like Mark Hughes, you know, Pellegrino and and, and Claude Puel, is that they couldn't they couldn't communicate their ideas clearly to the players. So you have players who were on the pitch, you had staff, you know, there. You have people who didn't really know what they were doing. Whereas with Ralph, he's so detailed um, that people can be in no doubt what they've actually, what they need to do. And I think that's, that's, that's been the most useful thing. I think everybody at the club now knows what they're doing and knows, knows what's expected of them. And we haven't really had that in a long time. So it, it, it's good. And I think kind of tying him down to a longer contract was, was actually kind of the, the, you know, the best move we could have made. Um, more important than any transfer, I think. Well, I mean, Saints did manage to go on the road and, and, and bring home three points, which is something that they've done uh, on nine occasions this season. Um, we got a goal from Danny Ings um, that, you know, I, I would say that the game, the game, I don't know. It was frustrating to watch a little bit because Bournemouth just refused to to keep it on on the ground. They they chose to go long and and I don't want to criticize them for for that because if you look at the way the Saints team has been playing, you look at what they've done to teams that that have want, tried to play it out of the back and tried to play through us. Even even the teams that are good at it, we've we've got caused them real issues. And uh, you know, you kind of look at it and say like, well, why would you? Why would you even? try at some point and you just just lump it long and and you know let let the center backs turn a run towards their own goal and see if you can do it and with the pace of of Wilson and King you think that's not such a bad idea but um you know then you just wind up getting the ball out wide a bunch and and trying to whip it into the middle which with Vestergaard there that that gives you some kind of security and knowing that or hoping that he's going to head it away um and I and I thought for the most part we we dealt with that kind of direct threat better than we had early in the season. I mean, you go all the way back to Burnley on the first day of the season and things like that, where um, teams that come right after at you and play over the top of you, we, we really didn't deal with very well early in the season. No, we didn't. Um, it's, I mean, 
the, the danger of the press is always that you can get caught by that high ball over the top and get caught on the break. And when you're right, a lot of the time earlier in the season, uh, that's what we would get caught. Um, that's what we would get caught in. And the only solution to that is either A, get better at the press, or, or kind of B, switch to a more possession-based uh, uh, style of football, which isn't the way that we do things anymore. Um, but I think that the way that... I think, firstly, the reason that we didn't get punished as much is because, if I'm honest, Bournemouth didn't have the quality to punish us. Yeah. Um, and And secondly... I think that our, our kind of, I mean, barring Vestergaard, but but certainly I, I think that our defence is is becoming a bit more mobile um, and a bit busier. So I think that 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 was really kind of the key. I think that defensively we've got stronger. We've got players like Carl Walker Peters, Bertrand has had uh, another another good season. Um, we're doing a lot better now back there um earlier on in the season we were all looking at it and thinking wow you know this this defense needs major surgery mm-hmm. but now you're looking at it you you look at it and you think well actually maybe it just needs needed tweaking yeah um to get the best out of the players that that, that we have um you know i think that bednarek and 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 stevens have been fantastic since uh, since the restart, I think Vestergaard, when he's come in, has actually kind of performed pretty well. I don't think that he's a long-term starter, and I don't think Ralph obviously sees him as a long-term starter. He'd be probably be one of the guys who, if we want to bring a player in, he'd be one of the one the assets that we'll look to move on. Yeah. In the summer, but I think he's performed well, and I think he certainly kind of put himself in the shop window in that respect. So, yeah, I, th- I just think we've just got better at handling um, that long ball over the top. But I think also, you know, got to temper that with the fact that, that, that Bournemouth were really not up to scratch yesterday as well. I think if we were playing a much better team, we'd have had more issues. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I've been really impressed with Saints since the return. And I think that kind of, at this point, it almost goes without saying that that we've been so much better and, you spoke earlier about some of the teams that when they come have come back from this, they haven't looked like they've they've really done the work. And whatever it is that Ralph was able to have them do when they were away from from the the squad as a whole, whether it was just the it was the conditioning aspect, whether it was um, you know the video stuff and, and kind of the the cues on when to press, and then and how I guess how they reintegrated everybody when they came back. Um, we've been miles better, but this isn't the first time that we've seen. A, an extended break do us some good. Um, you know, people talk, uh, and by people, I mean the pundits, they talk about the nine nil constantly. Um, it's basically just put it on the bingo card and it's almost like a free space cause they're going to mention it every single game, but we didn't get better immediately after that. You know, it wasn't until that, that I, I think Carl Anker has pointed out several times. And so is it. So, so have other people that the Everton match was really kind of the worst of it. And then there was the break. And then from then on, we played, consistently better and we got better and there were times where we regressed and kind of made those same mistakes and you know it's hard to account for individual errors when you have a system like this but the the ideas were there and then coming back from this it kind of enforced uh, break due to the coronavirus we just came back and, and and improved you know by that and then some and 
it's been so good to see that and just kind of, it gives me some hope for the future that, that these ideas are going to stick in that, you know, then when we saw the Brighton match, we saw the changes, you think, okay, this is the chance to see how far down the pecking order this, the ideas are, uh, have, have fallen and, and see who kind of understands it and what, what can be done. And, and, you know, it, it, it means that going forward, hopefully that we're going to continue to do this to teams. And now I hope teams look at Southampton and say like, we don't want to play them. This isn't going to be, this isn't three points guaranteed, especially when we go go to their place and do it. I mean, the, our home record has been atrocious, but the, the away record has just been, it's ridiculous. More than 1.6 points per game. Uh, on the road this season, which is not, I, th- I don't think what you're supposed to do. I think it's only second to Liverpool um, who won the league. And so, um, well, you know, I think everybody will take that. And I don't know if you count on that next year. That might be, you know, something that, that I bet you that comes down a little bit next year because that it just, I think that's just the way it works. But um, I, I'm definitely feeling good moving forward. Whereas I would say even at the end of last year, we're still excited about Ralph, but you know, the results weren't really there to, to, I guess, back up the the confidence that maybe we had yeah no i'd agree i'd agree with that i think it kind of purely comes down to our style of football really suits playing away from home we're not as dependent on possession as other teams are we're quite happy to do our work off the ball and i think that that you know that that's that's kind of illustrated in 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 so many of the goals that that we end up scoring um you know, I think that, you know, certainly when you look at, you know, when we're pressing high, it's led to so many goals for us this season. You know, Danny, Danny Ings being, being kind of really at, at the centre of that, chasing down goalkeepers. I think the other week against Manchester United as well, mm-hmm. the way that they put De Gea under pressure was, was brilliant. And that led to, you know, Danny's pressure really led to Armstrong's opener there. But I, I, I think that, you know, another key difference is that we have a striker now in Danny Ings, who is really head and shoulders above um, any striker that we've had in the past three years. Yeah. He he really is one of the best strikers in the Premier League. Yeah. You look at his, his technique, his work rate, his footballing brain. Um, he's, he's really, you know, one of the, the, the better strikers out there. Um, so... I think having that makes makes all the difference as well, um, you know. And he seems to have kind of, you know, uh, I think that they know how to manage his fitness here. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, before, you know, the first like last season we saw glimpses of it. Um, this season we've really seen what he's capable of. A with a full preseason under his belt, and B having his having his injuries and and, and everything kind of managed properly. Mm-hmm. It's made all the difference, and he's flying at the moment. Other than the penalty, I'd say he's he's been damn near perfect. Um, I was very confident captaining him uh, yeah. in FPL, and then he <laughs> scored the goal, and I said, "All right, we're good." And then he he was going to take the penalty because of the the golden boot race, and I went like, "Oh man, this is I'm already counting the points before it happened." And then he missed it, and I just went like, "Oh no!" Um, and, and oh, that that was a dreadful penalty. It was. It that was. was an awful penalty. Um, yeah, so I looked. I looked at that, and and uh, it doesn't really get better with any any kind of with any replay. I think kind of those stop-start penalties. He's done it before. Mm-hmm. It's something that he does, and I think that that maybe 
the the Bournemouth keeper may have seen that. Yeah, he, he, he loves doing a bit of a stop start run up, but yeah, he just didn't hit it cleanly either. So no, um, was yeah, it, it wasn't, wasn't in the corner. It was it was just it was just bad. It was all around bad. And and I say that knowing that I can't take one either. So uh, oh, yeah. okay. Uh, it's, it's, it is what it is. And I think even Ralph after the match said, you know, he wasn't very confident in, in Danny taking the penalty. And, um, I think, I think again, I, I keep talking about Carl, but, uh, Carl said, you know, something about Danny taking the penalty and, and Hassan Hudel said, you know, well, after a, a, a delay, cause there was a delay for, for the handball check. And after a VAR delay, the, the percentage of penalties that get, uh, converted or it goes down dramatically. So, um, We'll, yeah. we'll just we'll chalk it up to that. If if he had just gotten the ball, put it on the spot, and I bet you he bangs it in. Um, but that's because I believe in Danny Ings, and I I would I would I'd give him the ball next time too, and just say just go just just put it in, just smash it down the middle. Like if the keeper stands there and yeah. catches it, oh well, just just hit it on target, and we'll call it good. Um, but let's yeah. let's let's talk a little bit about about the match because we haven't uh, going through the the lineup a little bit. We we talked a little bit about Bournemouth tactics and things like that, but. Um, you know, having come off a, a, a decent run, coming back from the, the break, and we got a win, then we lost to Arsenal at home, which was kind of just poor. Uh, if we won mm. twice against Watford and City, we had several draws after that. So maybe flattening out, but I think the performances against in, in, in those draws were, were decent. And then we go away to Bournemouth. And I don't think that anybody would have been super upset with, with Bournemouth because I don't think Southampton fans consider it, um, you know, this huge rivalry. But it seems that Bournemouth fans really do, and they were really pushing that. And they, uh, you know, they they were definitely celebrating when they beat us at home. Um, and to be fair, it was a fairly convincing victory. We looked terrible earlier this season. Um, yeah. But I think that got I, that got under my skin a little bit, and it sounds like it got under. I, I think we talked before uh, w- w- over your stream. We, you know, we were talking about that a little bit. Like where, okay, like now. I would, it, it's time to just kind of just remind them where they sit, you know, um, in, <laughs> yeah. in the pecking order. Like, and, and it, it's almost like the little brother thing. Like sometimes your little brother gets a little bit out of hand and you just have to say like, Hey, like this is the pecking order just so you know. Um, and so I would have rather done it a little more convincingly, but we look at the stats. I mean, the stats aren't close, but it, I felt, I didn't feel comfortable even one nil up. I, I kind of always felt like, you know, we, we, it, it, and it's only because we weren't playing our normal game because we weren't able to press because they just kept pumping it over the top. And that, that makes me nervous when you have Yannick Vestergaard against uh, Wilson or King kind of trying to, trying to run the ball down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Vestergaard's got the turning circle of the Titanic. He's, he's borderline immobile. I think that you're definitely right about Bournemouth. Um, I don't think Southampton fans really wanted. You know, we don't want the hassle of having an extra rival to to, to deal with when we've got the guys down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, most people were fairly okay with it. Uh, yeah, until until September, in, until, you know, they beat us at St. Mary's uh, so convincingly. But I think with regards to the Bournemouth fans, uh, I just thought, be careful what you wish for. Um, because after the game, I've never seen so much crying about it. You can't beg for a rivalry, um, and then work it up the whole time and go, yep, you're our rivals. You might not, you might not like it, but it is a derby. And then in your derby, lose two nil. 
and then and then and then get upset when the opposition side rub it in. Look, yeah. to be perfectly honest, if Pompey beats us, I'd I'd be like, yeah, guys, rub it in. You yeah. know, that's that's how football works because, you know, when we battered them at Fratton Park, you know, it it it's part of the joy of football. If you win a local derby, you get to rub it in their faces until the next game. And, uh, you know, and when, and, you know, with this result potentially relegating them, adds a little bit of extra spice. So if they wanted a rivalry, they got it. And they can't complain now that, that, that fans are, you know, Southampton fans are potentially literally dancing on, you know, are, are dancing on their grave as they, as they drop out of the Premier League because you asked for this. Um, and, uh, you know, we gave them a bit of a lesson yeah. on yeah. the day. Yeah. And I, and I never want to, you know, necessarily criticize them. And, and I'll say I've only ever met uh, two people from Bournemouth when they were on the train when we were going from London to Southampton. And they were yeah. the nicest people of all time. And this guy was, you know, probably in his, in his seventies. And he just said, you know, I, he loves Bournemouth football club. He's, he's glad that there are Southampton fans in America. He didn't realize there were, he asked if there were Bournemouth fans in America. And I was like, I'm sure there are, uh, haven't ever met them, but I'm sure. And, and we had a, a lovely conversation. They didn't mind the kids. I think they even played cards with us on the way. Like it was great, but now screw that guy. Enjoy the championship. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and you know, you get, you get what you ask for. Um, well, it's crazy. It's, cra- it's crazy, Matt, because when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time. I, I kind of grew up, you know, as a child, kind of part of the time living in Bournemouth, part of the time living living in Southampton. Had absolutely no problem with, with, with Bournemouth at all. Lovely city, lovely people. But then all of a sudden, you know, when, when they get up into the Premier League, there seems to be this... Um, obsession with us, this this sort of slightly odd obsession with us yeah and then you know when they actually get what they want which is us to take this supposed sort of derby seriously um they don't like it so that's life isn't it boohoo and uh y- you know let's see how you get on next season i don't know how i don't know how it's gonna go uh it'll, it'll be tough and the championship just seems to be an absolute nightmare um well, at least we know who the worst fans in the league are going to be next season. Is that Leeds? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, Matt, the worst fans. <laughs> you, you, you think there are stories about football fans, but honestly, Leeds fans are the absolute. They're, they're right down there with Portsmouth fans right. in, 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 in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, their behavior and general demeanor. But, you know... It's great to have them back in the Premier League because hopefully it will knock a little bit of reality back into them because uh, I don't think they'll stay up. And I'm looking forward to that away game. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully people are allowed to get into the stadium at that point. Uh, yeah. We'll have to have to wait yeah. and see. Um, I mean, I mean, the game for us, I, the, I think Vestergaard comes in for, for Bednarak because yeah. of an injury to Bednarak. Um, and he does fine. I think. I think that's you have to have a, a center back you can trust. And for a long time, that was Yoshida that he would have been the guy that comes in there and does that. Um, and I just think as long as Stevens and Bednarak aren't out, we'll be okay. Uh, you wonder what it looks like if you have to have Vestergaard and, and Danzo or Vestergaard and, you know, somebody else. But, you know, I think he came in and did, and did just fine. 
the rest of the team was kind of, I guess, as you as you would assume it would be. Uh, Long does, gets the the start next to Ings instead of of Obafemi or Adams. There's there's been that kind of rotation there. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, we had some early pressure. We had some corners, nothing there. Uh, look, maybe a, a shout for a penalty on Bertrand, but nothing, nothing happens. And then all of a sudden Bournemouth worked the ball down the other end and they just start, you know, long throwing it into the penalty area all day, mm-hmm. which was another sign of how direct they were going to be. Um, and and I'll, I'll be honest, like I said earlier, I wasn't really comfortable during the match. It seemed I it just I, I never really it never really felt settled. It never really felt like we were in control. But when you look at all the statistics, it all says this was fine. This this game was only going to go one way, uh, even though it didn't feel that way. Yeah, um, I think in the in the heat of the moment when you're watching it minute to minute, it can seem like that. But I think that's when kind of game management comes into it. I think that we managed the pressure from them quite well and, and kind of saw it out. We were going to have periods of the game where where the home side are dominant. We're happy to play without possession. And uh, I think ultimately what it came down to is, is they put us under pressure, but I think the quality that they have or, or the lack thereof means that they can't convert. That That's what it kind of comes down to. You look at some of those chances that they had, I, I think even we would have converted some of those. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's what it came down to. Yeah, well, I mean, I think Wilson had a free header in the box. You you wonder how mm-hmm. he gets that open. Um, you just have a couple of times where we just can't seem to get the ball clear. Um, you know, you, you just want it to, to, to get away from the goal. And it seemed like, you know, I, I build those chances up because I just, I'm so used to seeing those chances get converted against us. Where yeah. it's just like we, where we make a mistake and, and do that. Um, but it didn't happen, and and I, and then for a while it seemed like it would just go end to end really really quickly. But nobody was creating any chances. There were the goalkeepers were kind of not having to do much, um, mm. and things like that. And then I don't know. There were just a couple of times where Vestergaard really had to to lunge and and do that. And I think the one that stood out to me was where he he like he didn't clear like he poked it, tried to poke it through the the. the the offensive players kind of legs or I don't know what he was trying to do or poke it off of him to go out of bounds. And then he had to lunge in and make like this basically goal saving tackle, which I'm glad he had, he atoned for it, but really he put himself in that situation and, and just shouldn't have been there in the first place. Yeah. He gets caught in possession, gets caught trying to do things far too much. He's just not mobile enough. Um, and I think you're right. I think to be honest, if we would have played um, that same style, um, confidence is one thing, but I think that if we would have gifted those chances that we did or Bourm- or a kind of better team than Bournemouth would have created those chances, mm-hmm. you'd almost have been looking at a game where we would have lost that 3-2 and not won it 2-0. Yeah. Um, you know, because certainly we've improved, but we do need another good centre-back there. And uh, Vestergaard ain't that guy. Um, yeah. He's just—he was a baffling signing, really. You know, he was—he was—he was brought in before Hassan Hootel, but he really doesn't fit the mold of, of what we need as a Southampton play as a Southampton player. And you know, I think people may look at it and go, when he goes elsewhere, if he goes to another team in the Premier League or he goes elsewhere, and he looks better, 
Um, it won't necessarily be because he's a better player. It will be because he's playing in a team that plays to his strengths a little bit more. Yeah. Um, he's not built for the way that we play football. And I think that, you know, you look at it and you look at players who style makes, you know, I think that playing style makes a massive difference. Um, and you look at some, you know, you look at players like Redmond. Redmond doesn't thrive in a position, possession-based team. He thrives in a, in, you know, a pressing team. Mm-hmm. Same with, same with Danny. Danny loves, you know, Danny Ings loves feeding off of mistakes. He loves being on the back of, uh, of, of defenders and, and, and kind of forcing errors. The same with Shane Long. Some players don't suit possession-based football. And for a long time, we, we had coaches that, that wanted to play possession football and they didn't have the players to do that. And then, when you bring in a player like Vestergaard, he can't really play in a pressing team. So he really sticks out. Other players, they suit it. They just want to take to it like a duck to water. Um, but he just, he just, you know, I don't think he's a, I wouldn't say he's a bad player. I just don't think that he suits this league or, or our style of play. Yeah, um, yeah. And we'll see. I mean, there's there's renewed interest, I think, from Leicester City. Um, as of this morning, we're recording. I mean, or it's Monday evening UK time. But uh, last yeah. thing I saw before we started was that there was some renewed interest. So we'll have to see if if that goes through. And I'm not gonna gonna get my hopes up. But in, in a system that that suits his his style of play and his attributes a little bit better, uh, where he may have time to distribute the ball long, and because that's one thing he can do is his long range passing is there. Um, yeah. And, and that's, that's great. But in, in this, in this system where he's going to have to kind of push high up the pitch and then, you know, kind of have to turn and run and defend one-on-one at at times, um, you, you can't, you can't account or you can't make up, uh, for the, for the lack of pace there. Uh, there's just not not quite good enough. Um, but I want to say going into halftime, you know, Saints had very little of the ball. Uh, kind of mm. 60 40 possession but but more shots and and six shots to three uh saints had and then and then we had four shots on target and they had zero um you know they were they were direct but they weren't creating anything they they had, had six corners up to that point but just nothing really to 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 speak of in terms of chances and, and as you said a, a better team maybe takes advantage of those things and, and makes us pay for them but they just didn't um, and then I would say in the second half, we kind of really had a little bit more control um, yeah. by by the end of it. I mean, we created a, more shots that, that that half, 17 shots overall, nine shots on target. The possession numbers completely flipped almost to 60-40 in, 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 our, in our favor by the end of the match. Um, and and I just thought, you know, whatever happened at halftime, again, we, the, the changes that are happening um, are good. And, and we should have had this game out of reach. Uh, at several points, I think Ramsdale did wind up getting man of the match and, and probably yeah. deserved it. He came out and smothered Redmond at one point, um, it, it saved the penalty, even though it wasn't a good one. Um, he kept them in that game for a lot longer than, than I, I would have liked him, them to be in it. You know, I agree with that completely. I think that Ramsdale is one of the few players for Bournemouth who can come out of that game uh, yesterday with any credit. I think he's a very promising young keeper. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was actually, I was impressed with him yesterday. Um, 
So, yeah, he kept them in the game. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. I was very, I was very much wanting us to just put the game away and put it out of reach and just kind of, I don't know. It's not. It's, I mean, we only get to watch it thirty-eight times or so a year, but like, I definitely wanted to be able to relax a little bit during that time, and I and I couldn't because um, he just kept saving and keeping us out. Um, we, we talked about the penalty miss already. We don't need to go through that again. Um, no. And I'm trying to think of of other of other chances that that came up before before the end of the match where I think, uh, you know, they they had that ball come into the box from I think it was a corner, and it's not even a controversial decision because he's clearly offside, right? There's no, there's no debate about this. No, absolutely none at all. If that was, I mean, this, this is the frustrating thing. I know that a lot of people complain about VAR, but I don't see what the complaint is when it gets a decision, right? Um, because that was, that was offside. Um, you know, those, those sort of fine margins in the game are all well and good, but, if I'm perfectly honest, what I don't like about VAR is the excessive kind of stop-start element of it. But what I do like about it um, is that when there are blatant offsides or handballs or or kind of situations like that, we've been mugged in games before mm-hmm. in prior seasons by those sort of decisions. Absolutely, you know mugged and lots of people say oh well you end up benefit you know oh so-and-so club has has benefited so much from var well that's life they would have benefited about it you know they would have benefited from it anyway if referees have been able to apply you know apply the rules correctly and consistently yeah i don't see what the issue is the issue you know I, i think yes the issue is that sometimes you kind of you know, it takes longer to get these sort of decisions. And I think there's sometimes a little bit of overreach. I think it can be, you know, we don't need kind of VAR for every decision. But certainly when, it's, when it comes to things like goals or potential penalties, yeah, I don't, I don't, see, an issue. I don't see an issue with it at all. Because, you, you know, I think, like I said, you know, we, we've, we've been on the receiving end of that. And I think that sometimes when fans after their team has lost, start posting that VAR meme. Um, I'll be honest. I mean, it's just sour grapes. Yeah. You know, sorry your team got caught doing something that they shouldn't have done, or I'm sorry that your team got caught scoring a goal that shouldn't have stood. But that's life, isn't it, unfortunately? Boo-hoo. Um, you know, you've got another game to, to sort it out. Um, and it evens itself out because you'll get a decision your way. So yeah, yeah, I'm not. To, to be honest, the time element of it, I think, you know, need, they need to look at ways of shortening that decision time. But I don't see too much of an issue with it overall. Um, I think that it, it's kind of can be a fairly kind of necessary evolution of the game, and whether we like it or not, it, it, it's 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 not going anywhere because. It costs teams too much money to a certain extent. Every win or loss costs the team money. You know, yeah. there are millions of pounds riding on these games Absolutely. in terms of league positions and stuff like that. So, you know, you have to apply the law correctly. And, and, it, and if it's not, teams have grounds to appeal. 
Yeah. You know, imagine if a team, you know, imagine these days now if a team um, went out of the league due to an offside goal that stood, you know, what would happen there? Yeah, you, you can look at that and go, right, okay, well, you know, have they got a case for this? So, yeah, I, I, think, I, think, it, I think it's fine. I think there's a mixture of kind of, you know, I think a lot of people try to act like they're crusaders for being anti-VAR, but it's always funny that they always seem to crusade about it after their team's lost yeah. when they've been caught doing something that they shouldn't have. Yeah, well, that's all, that's all that everybody really cares about is just, you know, yeah. how, it, how it affects my team, you know? Exactly. Um, and, and that's, that, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Um, yeah. So the, there was the instance yesterday, again, uh, it seems like it happens every match where Alex McCarthy's having a, a fairly quiet game, not a lot to do, then comes for a corner or a cross of some sort and doesn't claim it. And that's always just a heart and mouth um, moment, but he did manage to make the save after that. And then I would say that kind of the one really big thing he had to do was he had to push that shot from, from here. I think it was Harry Wilson wide uh, late on in the game that, that kept it at one nil to saints. And I think when we talk about McCarthy and we talk about some of his shortcomings, um, I was hoping that uh, I looked at Ramsdale's um, pass completion percentage and it was down to 46%. I said, okay, McCarthy's definitely got this one. Uh, he's definitely had a better pass completion percentage um, than, than Ramsdale because Ramsdale was just kicking it long all day and McCarthy has 45%. So he did not. Um, but for everything that he did, he, he, he didn't do with distributing the ball and things like that um, to, to be aware enough late in the game when you haven't had a lot to do to push that ball wide uh, and keep your team in the lead. I mean, that's, that's three points one from him. And it, granted we did go and score a goal after that, but um, I, I think a big moment for him there and, and maybe shows a little bit of just how far he's, he's come um, and, and just being, you know, that much more confident um, in, in goal for us. Yeah. I think that McCarthy's a decent goalkeeper. I think that's what it comes down to. I think that he's certainly, um, you know, when I look at the other, you know, the other two keepers that that we've had, Forster's got, you know, never been the same really since since he had that injury, and then he had that long run when he came back of not conceding goals. But then I, I think his legs have gone to a certain extent; he can't get down for, to, for shots as quickly. Gun is just kind of, I would say that the jury's out on Gun because he's so young. I don't think you can really judge a keeper whether they're kind of genuinely exceptional or not. I think that goalkeeping is such a specialist position. You don't really start to see whether a goalkeeper's like the real deal until they're about, you know, between the ages of 26 and 28, because keepers can just play until they're about 38. So, you know, I think that he's still got a bit of developing to do, but he may, he may do that. But yeah, I think McCarthy's a, I think McCarthy's a decent goalkeeper. Um, you know, I look at the teams in and around us and, and I think that he's certainly as good as the keepers, uh, at, at teams around us. I don't think that we're in a, you know, we're in a poor position and I'll be honest, I don't think it's a position that needs strengthening in the summer. We shouldn't be looking for a new goalkeeper. We just need a new center back. You know, we need, we need a couple of players. I don't think we need major surgery. I just think we need a few tweaks. Mm-hmm. And and it's nice to be in a situation where we can improve with just a few tweaks instead of 
uh, I feel like for the last three or four seasons, there would be just complete squad overhaul. And we still have, we still have things to do. We still have players that need mm. to go to go. We need, we need guys out of the club. Wesley Hood is still a member of Southampton football club, believe it or not. Um, yep. and, and things like that, that, um, and when you clean up those wages and you, you move those guys on, it will allow Ralph to make those decisions. And you have to build this foundation kind of with youth players and when with players you already have, and then when you're in that, in that, in that, I guess that moment or that, that's that when you realize that just now a couple of tweaks make mean, we can make that final push. Then you can oh. go out and spend big money on the player that feels that, that fills that position and that, that will push you over the line. But you can't always just spend big money on every player in every position and hope that it works out. Cause that that's, that's not a recipe for long-term success. Um, and I think that, that, Ralph, I think, understands that better than some of the other managers. And maybe he's just more forceful. We talked about yeah. him being a little bit more autocratic. And maybe he's just said, like, this is, this is what we have to do. And, and um, you know, Gao doesn't say anything to us. I don't know if he says anything to Ralph. I don't know if Ralph cares. But it seems like the, the job is getting done now. And that, that yeah. is important to me. And probably, I guess, I think to, to fans kind of all over. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about, about Danny. Since he did score that goal. Um, once again, we, we saw him only score from inside the box for so long. Um, he actually chose to take this one away from goal a little bit, um, onto his right foot and then didn't even hit it hard. Just, just placed it in the corner, um, where he should have placed his penalty, but Hey, um, another good goal from him. And I think, what is that? Is that 22 goals now? Uh, I'm going to get this wrong. I'm going to get in trouble. 21, Uh, 21. Yeah, I should think have been so. twenty-two. Yeah, it should have been twenty-two. It's twenty-one. All right, but I mean, good for him. Yes, uh, I, nobody's nobody's. I think everybody's happy for him. I don't think anybody's surprised, and no. and I and I just hope that he continues to to, to do this and and moves it on to next year and just keeps going. Yeah, he's got. I mean, he's turning that that style of goal into a speciality where he drifts out to the left and then cuts in on his right foot, opens himself up. It just it just hits it. He's done that. He did it against Watford as well. He's so good at it. It's very much, I think that someone someone kind of remarked, that was the style of goal that Thierry Henry always used to score. Mm-hmm. So he used to kind of drift out to the left and then cut in on his right foot and then, and then strike. And he's done that a lot. It, it, you know, that that's kind of seems to be very much Danny's style. And it works really well. Yeah. It works really, really well. Um, and, uh, y- y- you know, the way that the goal is, you know, the way that he scored was, uh, was excellent. Yeah. And then, you know, I think we also need to, to talk about the, uh, the Che Adams goal because it was, it was fairly similar. Yeah. Um, and it looked like we were just going to hold the ball up in the corner. The, the Bournemouth goal had been disallowed. And then we kind of all of a sudden, you know, you got three guys that I think go to Redmond who flicks it through to Obafemi who just, you know, Che Adams is basically standing un- unmarked in the in the middle of the, the penalty area, touches it onto his right foot, and then absolutely hammers it into the goal. And yeah. and it's there's a lot I think there's a lot in that because he he had just scored his first goal uh, not long ago. He was still kind of, you know, he's gotta be doubting himself a little bit. At, at this point, because he hasn't hadn't scored more this season, he's kind of lost his starting place. The minutes are hard to come by, but he puts that in, and there there was a little bit of confidence there. I think that he 
he has now. And I, I just hope that it, that continues as well, because I think we can definitely use um, a guy like that with as physical as he is, as strong as he mm-hmm. is to, to be able to just come in. And when long is, is run himself into the ground, be able to just keep himself there and, and actually contribute uh, with goal scoring chances a little bit. And I, I just thought that it was really good to see him do that. And hopefully uh, maybe he's learning from Danny because it's a similar, similar goal um, taken. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost identical. Only uh, Che went for power a little bit more than, than Ings did. He did. He, t- he opened himself up on his right side. Good pass from Oberfemi. That's his third assist of the season. He's doing really well. Uh, uh, you know, that, that's his third assist in the Premier League, but he also had a really good one for Ingsy's second against Portsmouth. Oberfemi is becoming a really useful part of the squad, but, you know, coming back to Shea Adams, um, yeah, what he, did, what he did well there was just being able to take the ball away from the defender and open himself up for the shot. And I think that, to be honest, the, the Premier League is a very, you know, we sit here watching it as fans, but the Premier League is a very, very different league from the Championship. Um, and it takes so long to get, you know, it takes a lot of players a long time to get used to that intensity. And uh, I'm not surprised that, that, that it's taken Shay kind of, you know, Shea Adams a long time to get, to get used to it because it's a totally different league. You're playing against much better defenders. You're, you're, you know, the, the, the intelligence of a player is much higher, you know, so it, it's tougher to score. You get fewer chances. So, yeah, I think he's just had to learn, you know, learn on the job. And I think pre-season, you know, might have lulled everyone into a false sense of security because he was scoring and scoring and scoring. But he was scoring against teams who were of a significantly lower quality than, than, than you know, most Premier League clubs. So it's not really surprising that he'd be scoring goals because he was used to be used to doing that for Birmingham. Yeah. But um, when you see him start to do it now, the excellent goal he took against Man City, which was which was just just good vision, really. Just just being, you know, just good. At, you know, he saw, he, you know, he saw the keeper off his line, and he just went for it. And I think that that's good. That shows the awareness of, you know, he, he's gathering that awareness. But the goal there, the, I think, the, I think his second against Bournemouth really kind of showed the potential quality that he's got. Mm-hmm. He showed good intelligence in the box. And then kind of hit a very low, very hard shot. Keeper wasn't going to save that. And uh, I think that, you know, he, he kind of, in that half a second he was on the ball, he made it count, took the ball away, opened himself up, hit the goal. You know, that, that's, that's all you can ask for your strikers to do. And that's what he did. All right. Well, uh, you want to move on to some, some, some questions now? We have a, a few from, from various listeners. Um, Love to. All right, let's let's do that. Um, of course, I should have them pulled up, and I do. Here we go. So we have a couple. One is from Luke Millard five zero five on Instagram, who is one of the patrons of the show. And uh, one of the things patrons get is they get uh, priority for having their questions answered on on the show each and every week. So Luke Millard says, "Do we have the right replacement for Hoiberg? Can Romeo do a good enough job, or can Smallbone fill the gap?" And you kind of said a little bit earlier that you know Vestigard that that center back position probably needs to be addressed, but how do you, how, how, how have you judged the midfield? We talked on a Patreon only episode uh, to Jake Hughes and, and Freddie from the ugly inside. And uh, Jake had been very critical of Romeo under Claude Puel 
and and had valid reasons for it. And then I really doubted he was ever going to be able to fit into to Ralph's system. But I've been really impressed with him coming back in since the break, since Hoiberg kind of made that fuss over that he that he wanted to leave. So uh, what's your what's your kind of assessment of that situation? Uh, my view on it really is that I, I you know I think that I think the small bones come in. He's looked quite neat. I, I think it's too early for him to kind of, you know, be second choice for a full season. Um, Romeo is good, but he'll pick up suspensions. Could be an area that that that, that we need to we need to invest in. Um, my priority would be to obviously get get uh, Walker Peters tied down to a permanent contract. I wouldn't ask for too much for Hoybier, if I'm perfectly honest. I think that we're not in a seller's market at the moment in terms of. Uh, you know, in, in terms of football finances, um, anyone who thinks that we're going to get a massive offer for Hoybier's kind of living on living on cloud nine at this point, to be perfectly honest, I'd just take a straight swap. We'll take Walker Peters. They can have Hoybier. That'll be fine. Okay. The mark, the whole market's depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's yeah, a Bournemouth I, I fans, do... but that's okay. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, that's I rude. Mean, yeah. No, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, cry me a river over that one. So I, I, I think that, um, yeah, we could use some investment in, you know, kind of maybe look at another defensive midfielder. We also have Harry Reid coming back off loan. So, you know, uh, unless Fulham take up their option and he wants to go there, um, I think I'd like to see Reid back at the club. Um, I think Romeo's got another season left in him uh, starting, but we need someone to come in and kind of give him support. So I think maybe if we had a rotation of Reed, Smallbone, and Romeo, I think that we do well. Um, because I don't think any major surgery is really needed in that position. Yeah, I think you left. I mean, like I said, I think tra- transfer-wise, with the market the way it is, we need to look at what we actually need and not what we want. Yeah. Um, you know, every time we go into a transfer window, you see kind of, you know, fans going, I think we need, you know, two centre-backs, something, you know, two centre-backs, a defensive midfielder, another left winger, and a, and a striker. Yeah. The market the market doesn't work like that. Um, especially not at the moment. Um, you know, our focus this summer has to be strengthening the key area, so central defence, that needs strengthening getting Walker Peters and then if we're able to do any extra business that's great but the pro- but that's under the proviso that we're able to get some of these players that we have um, out on loan off of the wage bill mm-hmm. and once again that's going to be the biggest challenge for this summer um, because like I said it's not a seller you know it, it's not a seller's market um, you know can you know you look at where these players are being kind of Players like Elianusi, players like uh, Wesley Hope, uh, you, you know, and Guido Carrillo, they're not being courted by teams who can afford their salaries or their transfer fees. Mm-hmm. That's that's the long and the tall of it. And lots of people just say, you know, lots of people say, why don't we just kind of take a bath on it and kind of, you know, sell those players for like one or two million a piece? But they don't understand that. That would mean that we would end up probably making kind of we'd end up making minus two million on those players mm-hmm. because when you sell a player 
if they haven't put in a transfer request, you have to pay a proportion of their salary on the remainder of their contract. And then you still have to pay back, you know, we're probably paying some of these players, these teams in installments. So right. you're, you're spending another amount of money on top of that. So if we sell these players, we, we, we actually, if we get rid of those players for that amount, we'll end up, you know, it, it's giving money away. It's almost like we're paying another transfer fee for them. Yeah. So we can't do that. We have to sell them at a sustainable amount or loan them. Um, you know, so that's the way it is. I can't, it's going to be difficult for us to shift those players. That's life. And, you know, I think that we will get to that point where we'll be able to kind of let them go. But I think sadly, in the case of some of the players like Carrillo and, and, and Wesley Hu, I think we're just going to have to let their contracts run down, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you know, that's life. And then look to get players in and be a bit smarter about it in future. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's cautionary tale, you know. Cautionary tale, do your homework on players. Yeah, it definitely seemed like we 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 missed the mark for several seasons on on bringing players in, and that's that's going to be a, a real issue. It's going to hamper us going forward, and that there's just no real way around that. Um, two questions now that kind of follow a little bit. They both have to do with penalties. Um, Al Capone one five six says, you know, do we practice penalties? And the answer is, I think so. <laughs> Although yeah. I, we haven't had anybody confidently take a penalty, uh, and, and sometimes, well, maybe maybe Ward Prowse is too confident. Um, bang that one off the bar, but we we've had a pretty poor penalty record over the past few seasons. So, um, you know, I, I, we're gonna have to. I mean, we got Matt Letizia walking around somewhere. Why don't you have him give a give a few lessons? Um, the next one is comes from the Saints FC blog. It says, "Do you think that even though Ings missed a penalty against Bournemouth?" He has enough confidence to score two or more versus Sheffield to earn himself the golden boot. Um, the current standings are Vardy on 23, Ings on 21. Uh, if he would have converted the penalty, it would have been 22, but he didn't, obviously. And I'll just say that over the course of this season, uh, Ings has only scored more than one goal in a game three times. He did it against Portsmouth uh, in the Premier League. He's done it against Aston Villa and also against Watford. So I would say Danny Ings is consistent, but usually for one goal. And I think if he got that second goal, if he had the penalty go in, then, then he'd be in, in a situation where, you know, maybe you are, but really I don't want him thinking about it. Really. I just want him to score the goals when they come and lay it off. If it's time, um, I want him to be a little bit selfish, but I don't want him to be so selfish that he's focused on his success over the team. And I don't think he's that kind of person. He hasn't proven to be that. So I'm not really that worried about it. Um, but what do you think? I, yeah. I, I feel like the golden boot race maybe now, maybe over, because um, I, I don't foresee us scoring three or four goals against against Sheffield United. I just don't see the game going that way. No, I don't. And I don't think that penalties are really something that you need to, you know, as a professional footballer, they they should need to dwell on too much. I think that, to be honest, probably practicing penalties is a bit of a waste of time. Because if you get to the level of being a Premier League player, you should pretty much be able to pick the corner or pick the area that you're going to put the ball in. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you know, I think I think if you're looking at public, yeah, by all means, practice penalties because you know you can hoof the ball anywhere. But um, <laughs> but I think when you get to the stage of the Premier, you know, as a Premier League player, you know, someone like Danny Ings or James Ward Prowse, you should be able to say to them, you know, James or Danny, put the ball in the bottom left corner in that part of the goal and you know they should be able to do that um 
So I think practicing penalties may be a bit of a waste of time, more of a benefit for the goalkeeper than it is for the striker. But uh, yeah, I think Danny's fine to take penalties. I don't think it'll affect his confidence at all. He seems like a confident enough lad and, and uh, you know, the same with Ward-Prowse. I think it's fine. Yeah, you know, I just think that sometimes you take a bad penalty. That's 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 the reality of it, you know. And, you know, not everyone can be Ricky Lambert or Matt Letizia when it comes to penalties. So, yeah, I, th- I think that, I think that, we're fine. I'm not worrying too much about penalties. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that the players should be able to score them. If they don't, then, you know, that that's for a variety of reasons. But I don't think it's something that, you know, we need to kind of focus too much on and go, oh, okay, do we need to improve this? We don't. These players should, should be able to put the ball away without having to practice it. Yeah. Okay. That seems, seems good to me. Uh, and and I, I should say, uh, you mentioned Harrison Reed earlier. Um, the Owen the Saints podcast, which is another Saints podcast, um, they talked to the Fulhamish pod uh, on this week's episode, which I haven't listened to because this is still Monday morning for me, um, and it just came out. But they, they you'll have we'll have to see kind of what they how they assess Harrison Reed because they've been kind of watching him all all the time. And I know Saints fans are kind of divided on him uh, whether or not he's good enough to to fit into the midfield. But we'll have to have to see. So I will be interested to see kind of what they said after kind of watching them all season. So there's that. Uh, and then we had an announcement uh, kind of earlier or late last week that the Total Saints podcast, which I, I think is the, the most listened to Saints podcast, is no longer um, going to be continuing after this season. I think uh, Ben put out a nice uh, letter and, and kind of explained the situation. And I know it was a difficult one and um, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, this is, this is a, a hobby for all of us. None of us are, are making a living off of, off of this stuff. Um, it's just something that we kind of enjoy doing. And it's definitely, I, I enjoy doing, cause it's my excuse to talk to you, you know? Uh, I, uh, I, I, otherwise I, I, I mean, I talk to, 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 I talk to people on here because it's, it's a chance to, to connect and stay in touch and, and really gives me an excuse to, to look up stuff about the team. Otherwise I would have no business spending this much time doing it. But, um, the Limehouse yeah. podcast, which is uh, a Saints, he's a Saints fan, uh, says, is losing the Total Saints podcast like losing a member of the family? Ben quickly replied and said, no, next. Um, but I, I definitely feel like it is. Because I, I feel like, you know, there are a lot of Saints podcasts out there. I don't listen uh, to them all. I have listened to all of them, but I don't. I just can't fit them all in the rotation. But I would say that Total Saints podcast is one of those ones that most Sunday evenings as I'm washing dishes because I live on the West Coast and I get it. Um, you know, at a different time than everybody else is one of those things that I get to listen to, you know, between Sunday night and Monday morning and I will miss it uh, for sure. But Ben, this has been wonderful just to, to kind of catch up with you. Um, I, I'd like to remind everybody before you go, you are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff at Archer's road end. Um, yep. You, the link for your fundraising um, stream that, that you did, you did the stream already. You're not going to do the 24 hour thing again. We kind of talked beforehand about how important it is to sleep, uh, and <laughs> and um, you know, but but people want to contribute, they can. Uh, the link is in the show notes, and um, I just want to say thanks, man. I know I know you got a lot of stuff going on. I appreciate you taking the time to come on here and and talk. And I hope that uh, that everything you know, as crazy as life is right now, I hope it all works out all right. No, that's great. Thanks for having me on again. I I always enjoy coming on uh, coming on this you know on, on the delivery in particular. You know you do a great job and and 
yeah, it's just nice to chat because it's like chatting to a friend, really. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good. All right, all right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make sure we do it again, and we won't wait so long this time. Uh, it's been too long. So, um, yeah, man, take care of yourself, and um, have a good rest of your evening. And, uh, you know, uh, hopefully Saints end, end the year on a high, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of see where next season takes us. Thanks, Matt. A quick prediction on that. I think we'll probably nick it uh, 2-1. So there we go. All right, I'll <laughs> take that. I'll take that. Just fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. It's at yeah. home, right? So we might, we might be in trouble. And that does it for this week's episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed it. Special thanks this week goes out to Ben Stroud. You can find him on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Archers Road End. You can also visit the Archers Road End blog and hope, like I do, every time you load it up, there's something new there for me to read. Um, and if there's not, then you just patiently wait because once it's there, it's worth it. If you'd like to contribute to Ben's cancer fundraiser, you can do that. The link is in the show notes. And Ben, only because I, I love you very much, I want you to never, ever stay up for 24 hours again. It's just not good. The color, I can't, this is the color of the energy drink that he consumed was atrocious. It's not found in nature, I don't think, anywhere. Um, but that's enough of that. If you're on social media and you'd like to follow us while you were there, we are at SFC D-E-L-L underscore I-V-E-R-Y on both Twitter and Instagram. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SFC delivery. If you head on over to southamptondelivery.com, there you will find the links to all of the social media profiles as well as access to past shows and easy links so you can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Show would not be possible without the partners of the show, including Matt Beeling of the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. He does the logo for the show. The Southampton page is the official partner page of the podcast. You can find them on Twitter at Southampton page and on Instagram at Southampton page one. And all music for the show comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games and the end of show credits that you listen to right now is Aim is True by Poddington Bear. You are really enjoying the show and you've already left a review and all of that stuff and you want to do something else. You can support the show on Patreon and in return for that, you will get access to a private members-only chat, access to bonus podcast episodes, and you'll have priority for having your questions answered on the show each and every week. Um, check it out. Links are in the show notes on the website. I appreciate all of you. Hope you're doing well. It's hard not to be given the way the team is playing. So uh, let's keep it up. One more game to go and the season is in the books. We move on, hopefully with some new signings and, uh, you know, knowing that the South Coast is ours. Until next time, I'm the Together and March on.